Welcome to the SoulWorks Podcast, a place where we explore self-care strategies that lead us to our well-being and highest self. I'm your host, Ade Chakol. Hi, beautiful souls. This is Ade, your host. And today I'm going to be talking about meditation because right now everyone is talking about meditation and how it is so useful to our daily lives. And that is why I came to the right place and the right person to be talking about meditation and how we can apply it in our daily lives. So I have Bhante Raula here with me. He was born in 1948 in Southern California, where he grew up and graduated from high school in 1966. After he graduated from high school, he spent three years in the army with one year in Vietnam. In 1972, he followed the hippie trail from Europe to India, Nepal, and Sri Lanka, where he was ordained as a Buddhist monk in 1975. Bhante Raula has been teaching meditation here in the U.S. and abroad since 1988. So I'm telling you, there is so much wisdom in this episode, and you're going to be learning just so much about meditation and so um, eye-opening. And we're going to be talking about topics such as how meditation helped him get off toxic drug use, what is meditation and the different techniques for meditation, and a new perspective to why we need to meditate, which I thought was so funny but so true, and so much more. So you guys are going to be learning a lot from this episode. I guarantee it. Just sit back and relax and enjoy. Hi, Bante Raula. Uh, welcome to the Soul Works with Ade show. Um, I'm so glad you're here with me. The first question I'm going to ask you is, um, what is your evening routine? Well, our evening routine normally uh, starts around uh, 7.30 uh, and I start or whoever is here uh, with me. We start with a few uh, sort of warm-up stretching and breathing exercises just to kind of get the energy moving in the body and to get uh, sort of centered and focused in in the physical body. And then we sit down and we might start with a little chanting or uh, and then go into meditation and meditate for about one hour. Okay. So what is chanting? Chanting uh, is chanting. Usually it's in a Pali language. Sometimes we do a recitation uh, in, in English, but it has something to do with, in, in our case, we, because we're a Buddhist here mostly, we are chanting uh, uh, sort of Buddhist chants. Okay. So like a Namo Buddhaya. So okay. it's like a mantra. And we chant Namo Buddhaya several times, repeating it in a certain rhythm. And that also helps to get the mind kind of centered and focused. And that vibration, we chant with a long uh, tones. That vibration helps to kind of relax the, the cells of the body also and, mm-hmm. and uh, to sort of prepare the mind for meditation. Oh. Or the chanting could take longer parts, uh, chanting like uh, qualities of the Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha, and some other things. Okay. So chanting, is it something we can do in a group only, or can we do that at home by ourselves? Yeah, people know it. They can do it you know, by themselves, of course. But uh, normally here, people don't know the chants, so I lead them through it. We have it written up on some papers that they can try to read it, but still they won't know the pronunciation because if it's in the Pali language, it takes some time to 
learn, you know. Right. So after they learn it, it's something that they can do on a... Yes, if, yeah. if they want, yeah. Okay. okay. Chanting is not absolutely necessary, you know, and, and okay. it also, it can be, it can be used as a kind of a reflection. Let's say like Buddhists in Sri Lanka or Thailand, they may chant and then not even meditate, but they chant as a way to remember certain aspects of the uh, Dhamma or oh. the teachings of the Buddha oh. uh, and so on. I mean, it can get quite complex because it's a very right. big subject. Okay. Okay. Um, so who were you before you became Bhante Rahula and how did you know, meditation and this practice uh, unfold in your life? Uh, well, that's quite a long story. Uh, I've written my autobiography to tell that whole story. But uh, to keep it kind of short, I, mm -hmm. you know, I grew up in California in the 50s and 60s, and I joined the Army after high school it was during the Vietnam War. And I was in the Army for three years from 67 to 71. And I went to Vietnam also for uh, 10 months in Vietnam. When I got out of that, I wanted to travel around the world. And I don't know exactly why, but I had the idea I wanted to go to India. Because I had met some people talking about India and how neat it was to go there. And so I had this uh, idea to go to India. But it wasn't necessarily to find a guru like a lot of people were doing in those days. Mm -hmm. So I followed the hippie trail across Europe to India, uh, starting in 1972. I was also, at that time, I was staying stoned quite a lot on various, you know, smoking uh, marijuana, hashish, mm -hmm. taking uh, LSD and other psychedelics and things like that. So, and uh, so uh, my mind was, you know, getting kind of lost in that sort of thing. But anyway, I was having a good time, but I also got in some serious trouble yeah. on my way to, to India. And I got put in prison in Afghanistan, of all places. Oh, wow. And that was sort of a wake-up call, you know, because I did some foolish things. I wasn't thinking straight because of all the drugs. Uh -huh. So I said, you know, I, you know, I could have died there. Uh, but uh, anyway, when I got to India, you know, I had heard about meditation. I thought maybe meditation would be something I can help to try to get off these drugs and clean my mind out, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and so on. So that's what happened, basically. I was in Nepal, and I had a chance to go to a meditation course. And during that meditation course, I had some powerful insights, what life is, really, you know, from the, let's say, the spiritual standpoint. And uh, after that, it was such a kind of a powerful life-transforming experience, because it was a one-month very intensive meditation course. Mm -hmm. And after that, I, I lost all desire to go back home and lead the ordinary sort of life, you know, mm -hmm. and just wanted to get into meditation more. And so that's what took me down to Sri Lanka, where I became a monk in 1975. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've been a monk ever since then. And I just uh, stayed there 10 years meditating in different places and studying the Dhamma. Mm -hmm. And then came back to this country and then gradually started to teach and to share what I've learned, my experience with others, especially in terms of the meditation and also the yoga, yoga, both yoga and meditation. I have been practicing uh, together there for okay. 10 years in India and Sri Lanka. Okay. So uh, tell us a bit more, like what I, I know, you know, many of us, when we're going through a hard time, it's hard to find out like what ways can, can help us. So, um, 
So tell us about, I know you, when you went to India, you just wanted to travel or. But was that was the, that was the surface. Uh -huh. That was a surface motivation. Okay. But deep down inside later on, when I had this experience, I realized that, ah, going to India with the promise of, you know, uh, smoking all kinds of good drugs and having a good time and mm -hmm. being a hippie was like uh, holding a carrot in front of a donkey. You wow. Because deep down inside, the real reason why I went there was to find the dump. Mm. Because it wasn't available in this country at that time, in 72. Meditation, Buddhism, Buddhism and Eastern philosophy were not very hardly known in this country. Right. So uh, that's why so many other people like me also, or, uh, young people at that time, had been going to India. Okay. Because they'd heard about these kind of things. But, but uh, so... On the surface, if you would have told me go to India and find a guru, I, I would have, mm. you know, probably not done that. So would you say it's kind of like fate that yes. took you there? Well, we fate, we call it karma. Karma. Yeah. Mm. Okay. And then you you went to India, and did you um, meet any people? What was your experience like as, you know, um, going there and with everything that was going on in your life? How, how did the... How did meditation come up? Did someone well, mention as, it to you? As I mentioned, uh, yeah. Uh, actually, before going to India, I had taken a course in world religions in junior college oh. in Riverside, knowing that I would be traveling around the world partly and going to all these countries where, you know, I had the idea of going through Israel so I should learn something about Judaism and going through the uh, East, Mideast where the Muslim uh, culture is so mm. to learn something about world religions in India, Hinduism, Buddhism. Well, and I had to write a paper about the uh, religion I liked the most. Well, that's fascinating. And I chose Buddhism. Oh, wow. And I wrote this paper, but then and I got an A-plus on the paper, actually. Oh, but, but uh, you know, after that, I just put it down and because there was no place around to really further my study, as I mentioned before. Mm. Okay. Uh, there weren't any centers around at that time. Okay. It was mostly just some book knowledge. So uh, that went dormant for a while. Wow. And then, as I mentioned, after I got out of prison in Afghanistan and I got to India, uh, then I went to Nepal for trekking in the Himalayas, which was also uh, one of the goals of most of the hippies and travelers and that they, uh, was there. And it was on that trek that I somebody came and we would sit down talking to you know, somebody and they started talking about their experience in meditation. And I got very interested in that, you know, that, oh, maybe meditation is a way that I can try to get off to all these drugs and just wandering around being a hippie aimlessly and so on and really find something, especially I clear out my mind. So that's what happened. And then there was a meditation course going to take place uh, soon after that. I, I met this man. So uh, that's how I, I got into it. Okay. Yeah, this guy talked to me about meditation. It was you know, telling you the details of a 10-day meditation course, and I got very interested in that. So here, uh, one question. Um, do we need to be a Buddhist to meditate or to practice meditation? No, because, you know, there's meditation. In the yoga, they practice meditation and other forms. Almost every religion has their own form of what you may call meditation. Meditation is an umbrella term that means various types of mental training uh, 
practices to, to learn how to develop concentration, mindfulness, and to quiet the, you know, the thinking mind and to uh, get in touch with a deeper vibration of consciousness and a deep, deeper level of uh, you know, awareness. Okay. You know, that sort of short circuits are neurotic uh, thinking and so on, which is mostly based in the past and the future. So in meditation, you, 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 you select a meditation object such as the breathing, or uh, usually the breathing is one of the more popular forms. And that takes you, uh, you know, you know, as you develop concentration on the breathing, you're letting go of the various uh, things going on around you that guides the mind down to this point of the, the present moment, which is beyond the, the past and the future. Okay. Because the mind is normally going between the past and the future. It doesn't even know anything about what the present moment is. Right. And so it, it gets caught up in all of its past and future memories, and it just keeps our mind in the state of uh, greed, hatred, and delusion, and uh, just going around in circles. So how was your experience like at the meditation school, uh, being new to meditation? Um, how did you feel? You're like a child in a candy store. Wow. You know, it was all very new. The, the mind was like really, really you know, fascinated by all these new concepts hearing because we were listening to Dhamma talks every night by the Tibetan lamas and, uh, and all these other rites and rituals. It was all, you know, but in my experience, it was like something uh, got unplugged inside uh, that had been, you know, cut off from all these things. And, and so when I was in the midst of all these things, it was like, memories of the past came in. It was, it was just, I, I was so attracted to it, you know. Did it take some time or how long for you to experience that? Well, just a, <laughs> a couple of weeks. It was building up over, after the initial few days of, you know, wondering what is all this, you know, and gradually the, because of the environment and everything else, it started to break down my rigid, uh, conceptual thoughts, you know, and kind of just kind of more open and flowing with what was happening, you know. And, and then all these things that I was hearing about that I also studied in that course I talked about, that, that uh, World Religion course, I wrote the paper, these concepts about karma and rebirth and meditation and suffering and the mind and all this. Yeah. yeah. So it's very fascinating. So after you said, how long was the course? One month. One month. And um, what changes did you notice in your life after that? Well, I just, I wanted, that's all I wanted to do was continue uh, studying and meditating. And so that took me down to South India and eventually to Sri Lanka. Okay. Because people were mentioning how Sri Lanka was such a, a, a Buddhist, good Buddhist country and people were very friendly and you could stay there for a long time if you wanted to meditate and even to become a monk. So like that really caught me, you know. And so that's what happened. You became a monk? Yes. After about two years. About a, bit, about a, about a year and a half after that uh, meditation course. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's, that's a fascinating Because I wanted to make sure that the, the meditation course and the high I got from that wasn't just a passing thing, you know. Okay. And so, uh, but it kept on growing and growing inside, you know. 
So I was convinced that uh, that's what I wanted to do. What were other people's reaction to your decision, uh, like family or friends? Well, they were probably horrified or, or <laughs> at least, you know, confused because that time in the States anyway, yeah. it was the time of this, uh, the cults. Maybe you might have been too young to, you weren't here at that time, but in the 70s, there was a lot of Christian cults and other cults like Hare Krishnas that were making, getting a lot of bad press because of their weird activities and so on, you know, that were putting people off. They thought they were getting brainwashed, the young kids were getting brainwashed, all those, you know, Eastern religious ideas and, and so on. Mm. So that's why they were, because they were, you know, it was unknown to them. There was no exposure, not like you have now, you know. So, uh, so they were confused in the beginning. So, but they got over it once. So my mother actually came over to Sri Lanka and, and to visit me after about uh, after I was a monk for about a year and a half. She, because she thought I may never come home, so she decided no. to go over there to meet me. And then once she met me and saw how it was, you know. The, the, they saw the Buddhist culture there and how meditation, and I also taught her some meditation. And uh, she saw how it was uh, helping me in a, you know, she thought a good way. So she was able to go home and tell my father and other family members, you know, okay, don't, don't be worried about him, you know, I think it's okay. He's okay, yeah. So you became a monk and you moved back here. Um, uh, yeah, after about uh, 10 years. Okay. And um, I joined a monastery in West Virginia. Mm -hmm. It was just starting a, a forest monastery. It was started by a monk in Washington. Mm -hmm. And so uh, he invited me to come and help him develop that place. Okay. Well, well thank you so much. That was a very um, fascinating experience. Um, yeah, I wrote my autobiography about that whole story, actually. Oh, wonderful. Okay, so I will make sure I will link uh, that, your biography, to the, note, to the show notes so our listeners can join and listen. So you touched a little bit on this. Can you go deeper into what meditation is and how we can benefit from it? Um, when I say we, it's, you know, people who are... We're so busy these days. Uh, everybody's saying they're busy. Uh, we have work, uh, family, friends, you know, just so much going on. So what is meditation for people like us, and how can we benefit from it? As I mentioned, uh, the meditation is a, an umbrella term that re refers to many different types of spiritual or quasi-spiritual or just mental uh, uh, training exercises to calm the mind and to develop concentration and to get out of our uh, habitual neurotic sort of uh, mental worries and you know uh, you know busyness and to find a quiet st space or stillness that's beneath all of that uh, where you can uh, feel a more kind of sense of connection with you know, everything rather than being an isolated little me in the world out there and all this friction, you know, uh, likes and dislikes. And so you, get, you get beneath all that and you, you experience a, a subtler vibration that's very holistic, you know, and also very healing because it's a natural 
It's a natural vibration. And it's the vibration actually of the present moment. And so the word meditation is interesting. It comes from the same root word as medicine and of mediation. And both of those, M-E-D-I, basically it's a form of being in the middle. So uh, medicine is the bridge or in the middle between sickness and health. Mediation, a mediator, is in the middle between disputing parties, right? Like that. And meditation sits in the middle between the past and the future, or between ignorance and wisdom. It's the bridge that links up that, but especially the past and the future. So it's the present moment, the mind resting in the present moment, because all problems in the world are problems of the past and future. Try to think of any problem that you uh, might have, and you'll see it's connected in one way or another with some idea or memory of the past or the future. And, uh, but the original pure nature of our consciousness is just present moment awareness. And just as a baby, when it's born, its mind is still in that natural state of present moment awareness. It has no ideas of past or future, or me or other, or black and white. It doesn't have any discriminating ideas in it. But only as it starts growing up and learning language and getting programmed and conditioned by societies, and then it gets caught. It gets taken away from its natural connection to the present moment. It gets solidified in the struggle between uh, duality and uh, good and bad and, uh, you know, I and the other and, and so on. And just all the, and we get caught up in attachment and likes and dislikes, love and hates. And that's what creates so much disturbance in our mind and people fighting and killing over things that they want or they don't want getting away from the things that they don't want or trying to get a hold of the things that they want. And if they don't have the ability to do that legally, they go into it illegally by killing, cheating, stealing, pillaging, plundering, and raping, uh, and everything else to satisfy their greed, their lust, or their aversion. And that's the, the ills of whole society is, is that, basically. So it's because they've lost that connection, the natural connection to the present moment awareness. It's still there inside of everybody because it's our natural state. So just in a, in a, well, in a way, that is from our point of view of the meditation. Most forms of meditation is our way to how to gradually get back to that state of present moment awareness. So can anybody meditate? Can we even teach our children to meditate? Can kids do that? Kids can do that. It's not easy because they have, you know, they're growing and so their interest in learning and the world is, is very strong. And also when the hormones kick in with, you know, teenagerhood, you know, it's very difficult to <laughs> calm that down, you know. So, but it can be done. Yes, there's the... We, we have some special times with some programs for children that you can't expect too much from them. But anyway, if they get a little taste of that, and nowadays even in schools they're starting to introduce uh, some of the simple forms of 
whether it's meditation or not, but just learning how to be quiet, like a, a minute of quiet time, you know, just to, to sit down and try not to squirm around and just, you know, mm -hmm. say just feel your body, feel the breathing, and just try to let go of your various thoughts or distractions. And you know, if you can do that for even a few minutes, you'll start to feel this nice, more peaceful place arising. Yeah, I try. I try to do that with my kids, but I do. Um, I turn on guided meditations so that they can listen. Yeah, well, guided meditations are a tool for learning. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we, yeah. I mean, I give guided meditations here. Okay. How can we get to that point of consciousness uh, when we meditate? Because most of us, including myself, I find when um, you know when we sit down, and that's also another question: Do we? Uh, what does our posture need to be like? Does it have to be a certain way all the time? Um, and do we really need to silence the mind? Is that even possible? And how can we get to that point of silence? Well, meditation happens between your brain and the spinal column. And so in meditation, the posture keeping the spinal column or the back and the head in a straight line is important because that's where all the, the vibrations and nervous system data are coming through our eyes, ears, nose, tongue, skin, which are relayed through the nervous system to the brain where you become conscious and then your memories are, are brought in and, and so on. So uh, it doesn't matter so much about the lower part of the body like your legs. So some people sit in a chair, but commonly, you know, the cross-legged position on the floor is, is the, you know, common meditation posture. But older people have difficulty doing that. So they uh, even hear quite a number of people sit on chairs. But the important part is to try to keep the back straight and uh, so that the nervous system in, is in its optimal uh, condition so that those nervous system vibrations can flow through uh, and the mind stays awake. Now, the three biggest hindrances for meditation are sleepiness, physical pain, and what we call monkey mind, too many thoughts. And so most of what we call meditation is learning how to overcome these three obstacles for allowing the mind to rest in the present moment. So the present moment awareness is the natural condition of the mind, but we become so unnatural because of our, you know, uh, focus in the external world, our external focus and running around reacting to everything with uh, like and dislike and pleasure and pain, chasing pleasure and pain and, and so on. You know, and having a quiet place in the beginning is helpful. So to have a fairly quiet place and then to sit down and then you have to have something to focus your attention to. Otherwise, the mind will just get pulled in so many different directions and you'll get disturbed or distracted so easily with various pains or something itching, scrabbing, rubbing this or that, hearing sounds, that. you know, just basically, you know, be, being fidgety. Because normally no one ever sits still, right? Mm. Especially in the middle of the day. And especially sit still and close your eyes 
and not go to sleep. Because usually when people sit down and close their eyes, immediately they start going to sleep because it's a habit. So it's, uh, it takes a lot of training to overcome, to recondition the, uh, the body and the mind not to go to sleep when you start to meditate. Because the body and mind is just one big habit mechanism. Mm. Uh, and any biologist or scientist will tell you that. Uh, so that's the main thing. And so it takes a lot of, of practice. And that's why meditating in groups, most people find that helpful. Because trying to do it on your own, as only one a rare, rare individual would be able to uh, get much progress purely on their own without some kind of basic guidance or some other support. So that's why we hold uh, meditation days here where people come and I give them some initial instruction. We do some guided meditation, sit in a group, we do sitting and standing and walking, what we call mindfulness. Yeah. So the main thing that we're practicing here is mind, what's called mindfulness. It's becoming a very popular word these days. It's used on the newscasts and other shows and mindfulness is being taught even in hospitals now for anger management and for stress reduction and for lowering your blood pressure. And there's all kinds of uh, benefits that can be gotten through learning how to calm and center your attention, but in a conscious way, not just to, to go to sleep. So um, when, when we do that, so when we're sitting down and we're trying to meditate and we notice that thoughts keep coming into our minds, is there a trick or is there something we can do to kind of... Yeah, that's what you have to have an object of meditation. It's like the anchor of a ship, mm. right? So we use the breathing as one of those. So when you sit down... And the first anchor can even be the weight of the body pressing your seat. And you can just concentrate on it and feel that, you know, that, that pressure, contact, and the sensations of, you know, 100 or more pounds of body pressing your seat, right? So it's a very strong sensation. And if you can just keep your mind on that, it's, uh, uh, it's not, not only that, of course, but uh, you can let the mind go through the body and feel how the legs are bent and then how the feet are crossed underneath. You're feeling these purely physical sensations or where your hands touch together. You feel the subtle pulse of the blood in the fingers or palms. Even to, to feel the straightness of the spine. So even moving the attention through the body to feel the mentally feel the, the posture is also one very good uh, way to keep the mind in the present moment. And then the breathing within that posture, the breathing is going on. So you uh, focus the attention, try to feel the expanding and contracting movements of your abdomen, rib cage, or chest. If you were like where the clothing rubs against the skin of the belly or rib cage, and you f keep your mind focused on that and just try to remember out. Breathing in, breathing out. Just keep remembering, sitting, breathing, sitting, breathing. Because that's the present moment. And so uh, those are some of the two better, because those are natural things, and they're always happening within us. They're not hard to find, right? 
Uh, and so that's why we, we choose those as being natural objects to become mindful of. And mindfulness and concentration, they're, you know, uh, two, two parts of the same process. And so we use that like the anchor of a ship. Because if like the anchor of a ship, if a ship doesn't have an anchor sitting out in the harbor and a hurricane comes up, what's going to happen? You're going to get knocked into other boats or up on the shore or turn over a sink. So the same way, if our mind doesn't have an anchor, even in our daily life, it gets blown here and there by the winds of the, the circumstances, the winds of change and of, uh, you know, your neurotic thoughts and reactions and so on. Is there a particular way to breathe or just normal breathing? Uh, well, because I also integrate yoga practice into the meditation, I encourage people to, to start the meditation by deliberately taking deeper breaths because then it's easier to feel. So, for example, I'll just give an example of that. So like this. So I take three or four seconds to breathe in, feel that expansion of the lungs and the air coming up into the upper part, and then hold the breath in for about two or three seconds to allow the oxygen to get into the bloodstream, and then slowly breathe out. You feel that slow contraction. It's a very nice feeling once you get into it. And if you can do that for six or nine times, even just doing that, you will feel a relaxation coming because it helps you to stay, the deep breathing helps you to stay focused because it takes effort to do that. If you're just watching the breath by itself without controlling it, usually it's not enough to hold the mind and the mind will just get distracted. So that's why I have them start with doing some deep breaths. And then after that, after a few minutes of the deep, slow breathing, you can also count the breaths from one to 10. So this is also a preliminary technique. When you feel the breath coming in, you would mentally count one. When you feel the breath going out, also one. This one complete breath. The next in breath, two. Out breath, two. Like that, you try to count up to 10 without getting lost. If your mind gets lost and you forgot where you were, you go, oh my God, where was I? You know, you have to start, you start again at one. And so when you can train yourself to be able to count from one to 10 without getting lost, you can also reverse the count and go from 10 back to nine, eight, seven, and back to one. These are just ways of helping to stay concentrated so that you don't lose your counting. So it's just, you know, it's, a, it's another tool in our meditation tool chest that we use to initially calm them. And then once you can count from one to 10, from 10 back to one, or even just one to 10, but then you will feel this initial kind of uh, relaxation and centering. Still, there may be random thoughts going through the mind, but they may not be strong enough to completely take you away. If they are, then you... Again, you bring it back and you refocus and you start again. Uh, so like that. And then, and then, so that's the first stage of uh, being able to develop that initial kind of centeredness and concentration. 
And then you start opening up the field of awareness and being aware of other things that are coming and going around the breathing. So the, ideally the breathing, you keep that as your tethering post or anchor, but at the same time you, you be alert for other things. Let's say if you have an itch arising on your head, you, the mind is getting disturbed by that itch, you observe it and you just be okay, itchy, itchy. And you try to not react to it. And uh, you, to observe how it, that itching sensation changes, and then it may last for five or 10 seconds or longer, but then it, it'll vanish in most cases. Or it's an itch or it's a stinging, biting sensation, some other little ache or pain. We learn to observe these sensations, but without reacting to them, without trying to get rid of them and to see how it's affecting your mind. If your mind is getting tense because of uh, unpleasant irritation or something, you just tell your mind to relax. Relax, relax, it's, it's no big deal, it's not gonna kill me. You try to endure it a little longer. So that's the name of the game, learning how to endure. Normally people don't want to endure in pains and itches, right? They immediately try to get rid of it. The whole day long we're going like this, like this, you know, that, things that bother us, you know, it's all trying to get rid of unpleasant sensations. But that signifies a neurotic nervous system, You're not really relaxed. So part of meditation training is learning how to stay relaxed and, and be aware of all these different unpleasant things, not only body sensations, you might hear an unpleasant sound, you know, distracting sound is disturbing you like somebody mowing their lawn outside or something else. And you can see your mind getting upset. So you watch your mind also. Mind's getting upset or anger, anger. You kind of label your little emotional states as they arise. But without feeding them, without justifying why you should get angry at this or get disturbed by that or so on. <clears throat> so there, you know, there, there are specific descriptions of these techniques, you know, that we employ. So that's called the insight part. Uh, there's constant, what we call calming. The first stage is calming and relaxing the attention to the present moment. And the second stage is the developing insight. That means watching the body-mind process from moment to moment without getting sucked into it with trying to react and change it or anything else. Just just observing what is happening moment to moment in terms of whatever thoughts are in your mind, what kind of other disturbances are coming. Or if you're starting to get sleepy, be aware of that, oh, sleepy, sleepy. Try to waken up by taking some more deep breaths. And when you're at that point of, uh, I guess, really uh, into your meditation and your mind is now silent, um, is there anything you notice? Do you, um, you know, some people say you get messages or is that something that happens? Yes, you might get uh, well, messages, basically. So insights. Insights. That means you, you'll get an insight into, oh, I really did have attachment to that. I thought I, would, I, thought I, would, I had only nice, calm thoughts, but... Well, there's, there's anger deep down inside. You can see the hidden, what used to be hidden deep down more. You can see how 
oh, there, there's still some ego there. There's still some aversion there. There's still some grudge against this person there. So you can see deeper down the unconscious. So meditation helps to reveal the unconscious because normally 99% of our life is our past experiences are in the unconscious mind. And we're only conscious of just one-tenth of our, or even one, you know, thousandth percent of our mind is what we call surface consciousness. It's like the tip of an iceberg, right? You only see the tip of an iceberg on the surface, right? But most of it is below the water. So the same with our mind. And uh, medita only meditation can reveal that because now, because you've developed the concentration, now your attention has come down to that deeper level and has revealed more of what was previously unconscious. And that's what's called vipassana meditation or vipassana meditation or insight meditation. And you observe that. And you gain insights, especially in the, into the insight into impermanence and uh, what we call no self. Right now, you have the feeling that you're somebody, right? You have a history, you know, you're from this place, and, you know, you have your family and you have your ambitions. So that's you know, called self-consciousness. That's something we've created since we were a baby, since, you know, just after we were born. Uh, we've developed this self-centered personality, but you weren't born with it. Baby's not born with a sense of an eye. It has no name. It has no identity. It doesn't know what's born in Ethiopia or America or anywhere else. Right? But only when you grew up, you were told these things. Then you start identifying. Being from the white race, the black race, the whatever it is, this religion, that religion. Then people start arguing and fighting over these things. That's all contrived, you know. That's all been programmed into our minds. So meditation is the, when you meditate and you observe these things and you understand the transition from ego consciousness to what we call awareness, where the sense of the, the self, the I, can start to disappear, as you mentioned, alluded to earlier when you were telling me about your experience, I think. The mind's not so reactive to things. And because the sense of I exists in a direct proportion or relationship to the amount of attachment, identification, or aversion that you have toward any of the sensory objects or even your own memories, thoughts, and emotions. So when we stop identifying with them, the sense of self starts to dissolve like putting a sugar cube in a glass of water, it starts to dissolve. And that's what you observe in meditation. And that's the deep insight. And when you experience a dissolution of the self, that's extreme bliss. I mean, that's, that's the goal of meditation is to experience that. It's a state of awareness to understand what is the true nature of our mind is this pure awareness as opposed to ego-bound consciousness. And really, that's what meditation is all about, especially from the Buddhist point of view. Um, have you noticed, uh, so people who have certain kind of illness or chronic diseases, does um, meditation help in that area? 
Yes, because many of these diseases have been caused by our mind. You know, the psychosomatic uh, kind of syndrome. And now so many scientists and other people are starting to, uh, to understand that, and teaching that too. Even cancer and some other diseases have their roots in the mind. Trauma, just like people are being eaten by their, their guilt, their worry, their uh, grief, whatever. So what does cancer do? It eats your own body, right? So our mind is eating itself, and the mind and body are intimately connected. So cancer, from a Buddhist point of view, cancer is ignorance. The root of disease, dis-ease, means not being at ease. We think disease is some virus or bacteria. No, disease is not being at ease. That means not being grounded in the present moment. Because that is what has disrupted the natural healing power of the body and the mind. Uh, so, yes, that's why it's holistic uh, awareness, holistic uh, meditation has to be included in that. Otherwise, it's not holistic. And for real healing starts with healing the mind because no amount of doing your body, healing your body, no amount of perfect diets or exercise is going to help you if you haven't also at the same time worked on your mind because it'll just keep, uh, you know, be like beating your head against the wall. I, I absolutely agree. Um, yeah. If we don't heal as a whole, there's always going to be this problem that will just keep coming until we heal yeah. everything. And so. the body affects the mind and the mind affects the body. So if our body is sick, that's going to prevent our mind from becoming relaxed. We're going to be worrying about it and this and that. So we have to know what is healthy for our body, like getting proper exercise, eating the right types of food, and learning how to live in harmony with the world around us. And when the body is happy, the mind will be more happy. And when the mind is, is happy, you well, then there's many levels of happiness, of course. But even just the average state of happiness. But uh, that that's also very, you know, precarious. Because if your happiness is dependent on the external world, then it's going to be very insecure. Because we can't control the external world. We can't control even our own bodies. When it gets sick, it's going to get sick. And you're going to grow old. We can't avoid that. And it's going to die. A lot of people want to live like they shouldn't get sick or they shouldn't have diseases or they live longer, but no amount of wishful thinking is going to prevent that. Or your loved ones or anybody else because it's connected with the law of karma. You know, and it's very complex. So anyway... Uh, that's why both. Uh, that's why yoga and meditation are such a good uh, complement to each other because the yoga works on helping to keep the body physically healthy. The, in yoga, the body is considered the temple of the mind, temple of the soul, if you will. You know, right? Uh, and so uh, that's why the emphasis on getting physically healthy first. But some people are, are beyond that point. So you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait because even older people who are already kind of beyond the ability to 
regain a perfect state of health, uh, they, they can still meditate, you know. Uh, but it's just doing both together. But you know, in this country, yoga is seen mostly as physical exercise, having a good figure and all That's that. Right. You know, all these glamour magazines and all that. Uh, that was never the the meaning of yoga. Yeah, that was my introduction to yoga. Also, I thought it was just another um, exercise until I started learning more about it. I started to see the mind body connection. Well, that's that is, that's the meaning of yoga. Yeah. Yoga means is a yoke, learning how to bring the opposites together, or the things that are separated. So the first stage of yoga is bringing the mind back into the body. Right now, for most people, their body is doing one thing, but their mind is all over the place. They don't even know that it's sitting here in the room. It's you know thinking about next week or yesterday, or, uh, you know. So that meditation is about yoga too. That means bringing the mind back to the middle, to rest in the present moment. Bringing the mind, you know, letting go of the past and future, and letting go of me and the other. So those are the three stages of yoga. First, bringing the mind back into the body so they, they work in harmony. Letting go of the past and future so you dwell more in the present moment. And then eventually, ultimately, letting the sense of me versus the world out there, let that those boundaries dissolve and experience the unit of consciousness. Wow. So how can we... Um, bring yoga into our homes. So how, how, is there a certain time that's good for meditating? And most of us, you know, we wake up early, go to work, and then come home late at night. So how can we practice meditation at home? And uh, is there a time limit to it? Like how long should we be meditating to get the you know, benefits from it? Well, again, learning to meditate and so on is just like learning to do any other discipline, like lifting weights or run a marathon. You just don't immediately go out and run 26 miles. You don't immediately start lifting 100 pounds, right? So the same way in meditation for most people, you would start out with, let's say, you know, 15 minutes. And you're just learning how to sit down and first stage is just learning how to maybe, you know, count your breaths from one to 10 without getting lost and be able to sit in, in that and, uh, you know, for 15 minutes without the antsiness coming with, oh, what's, oh, I got to do this, I got to do that, you know. And once you can do that for 15 minutes, then because it feels nice, you naturally, you'll want to extend it more, do it for 20 minutes, and then 25 minutes, and then 30 minutes, even up to an hour. Most people who've been practicing a long time sit for a full hour twice a day. The best time is in the morning, just after you've gotten up, freshen up a bit before, before getting active, do the meditation day, because your mind is more fresh then. Do a couple of stretches to get the energy moving and sit down to meditate. That's what I do here. You ask me what I do in the evening, in the morning I do the same thing. Uh, but before you get going, because once you get going, it's difficult to to slow back down. So it's important that we make the time. Yes. Um, because a lot of people, you know, say, I don't have the time for it. I used to be one of them. 
Yeah, but they have the time to uh, to look at their all their emails and all their uh, social medias. How much time <laughs> do they spend on that? Right. What yes. good is it? Is that of any benefit, really? Most of it, not. Really. No. Just no. increases more worry. You hear about somebody's sick dog or cat or whatever, or, you know, or see some picture of them smiling. And, uh, that's all. Yeah. Superficial. Right. Yeah. So this has to be seen like brushing your teeth or taking a bath each day. Well, people normally do that, right? Why? Because it's just part of life now. We have to. We have Why? To. No, but you gotta you gotta probe a little further. Because you don't want to stink, right? <laughs> yes. You don't want your colleagues to come over and ooh, or smile in the morning, and you got a piece of food hanging between your teeth. <laughs> yes. So we, we we take a bath and we brush our teeth each day to keep our Body clean. What about our mind? That's so true. So we have to keep our mind clean. So you don't go to work conceited and puffed up or, you know, angry about something or getting upset at small little things and blaming your colleagues or, you know, stealing your pencils or whatever, getting upset when the boss doesn't, uh, you know, agree with you or whatever. You know, we, we get so much easily upset. Right. So that's the, that's the stink of the mind. And so how to keep our mind calm, more uh, centered in the midst of activity. That's the whole point of meditation. It's not just to sit and be quiet. What are you going to do with that? How is it you going to bring that out? And it's going to help you and others mm -hmm. in, the, in the life. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's a very good point. I have not seen it that way before. Um, so, so, the, 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 so the morning is the best time to meditate because it helps to set the vibration for the day ahead. So hopefully you'll be a little bit more centered and calm. And then in the evening, if you did accumulate some stress or anxiety or negative thoughts, you can try to let go of that so you don't take that to sleep and have bad dreams yeah. or lose sleep over them. So morning and evening, if you can do that, you know, 15, starting with 15 minutes each time, and then gradually working up, that will be a very good start. Yeah, I've learned to do that. I, um, I, you know, my kids and I, we wake up very early. We have to, you know, leave the house by seven. So I've learned to, first I, you know, woke up at six and that didn't give me enough time. So now I'm waking up at 4.30 and I've noticed such a big difference in myself. Um, because that meditating, even though you get up a little earlier, you'll make that up because of the, the meditation. Yes, I have more energy. I'm just much more calm. Things just go much smoother. It's just amazing. And just learn how to go to sleep earlier rather than uh, staying up doing whatever. Exactly. You know, yeah. Watching a movie or something. I go to bed when my kids go to bed. It's We go to bed very early and I... I have seen the difference it makes. It's amazing. So I wouldn't, I can't go back to how I used to be. It, there's no, just no way. And I want to do more of it now. And I'm trying to teach my kids now. My son is too young, but I'm trying to teach my daughter in how to meditate. And she asks for it now. But with, with them, I do guided meditation because they can't still, you know, sit still. Um, but yeah, that's and there's a supplement to those two times of meditation during the day, what I call an M and M. 
mm. means a minute meditation. So it's a specific training that we do to stop every hour for one minute. It's between your jobs or appointments or different errands and so on before rushing to the next one. Just stop, feel your feet on the floor, take a deep, slow breath, just try to touch base with the present moment, you know, and, uh, you know, just, just for one minute, they help to kind of recalm you. Mm. And then you carry on again, you know. It puts things in perspective. Yeah, and yeah. you release whatever stress you might have gotten in the last hour. You try to release it, like forgiving that person for having, uh, you know, talked rough to you or give you a dirty look or whatever, whatever some something you were holding on to. Right? So how do you do that? If you're at work, you just sit there and just take yeah. those breaths. Yeah, just yeah. You know, if you're sitting at your computer, you just finish your emails before going to the next one or something else. Just pause and. Especially doing a deep, slow breath, it's like a miracle cure almost. Hold the air in for as long as you comfortably can. Because you can't think while you're holding the breath in. It takes all of your energy just to, to do that. And then when you let out the breath, you feel that kind of relaxing feeling that goes with the, the out breath, you know. And even just doing that for one time is enough to... By the time you come out, you forgot what you were worried about. That's amazing. Or you can just say, may that person be well and happy, rather than holding some ill feelings toward a certain person. May they be well and happy, free from suffering. Mm -hmm. um, how about mantras? I mean, is the, are those beneficial, do you think? Um, they can be. But uh, again, they're just uh, another kind of tool we might use for people that may need them. Mm -hmm. But it works the same well as just watching your breath, basically. What are mantras for people who are not uh, familiar with them? Well, the, in yoga, the common mantra is like Om. Well, we use Namo Buddhaya. And what, does, what do they mean? It refers to that present moment vibration or the, the purity that's within the, each person's mind. And we keep repeating them, right, during meditation? Well, you can, but we don't, we don't normally recommend it. Start maybe with the first few minutes of that, or you can combine it with the breathing. Like I'll give you an example. Every night and morning, I usually start with Namo Buddhaya, just doing four repetitions of Namo Buddhaya. You want to hear it? Sure. So you're combining it with deep, slow breathing. So I'm going to take a, a deep breath and then chant uh, parts of it, uh, you know, step by step. Namo Buddhaya Namo Namo
That was very, very beautiful. Thank you so much. So, so that's you. a very simple one. It's, but it was very nice, especially when that you can so do the chant on yourself and that vibration. If you have a good, good breath, you know, then that, yeah. it helps to relax. Wonderful. Um, so, what's one thing we can do for our health today? Try to th not think any negative thoughts. Whenever a negative thought comes in your mind, try to think the opposite. So if, you, if somebody uh, did something to you, try to find the good qualities, not the bad qualities. That's wonderful. Because everybody has good qualities and bad qualities. But we tend to dwell on the bad qualities, especially if they've hurt us. Maybe they were kind to their children or somebody else. Maybe just because of some reason they might be negative toward you. Yeah, but we sort of hold that. And, so that's one thing. And the other one is learning how to do these pauses and deep breaths from time to time. Whenever you notice yourself getting a little nervous or, you know, rushing around too much, pause. Just stop. Slow breath to relax that neurotic push to the future. That's, that's so important, yes. Well, you can learn some phrases, like a certain phrase, like, you know, repeat, you know, May all beings be well and happy, free from greed, hatred, and delusion. Wow. Uh, rather than thinking of the random negative thoughts. You know. So we have to learn how to think positive. Wow, that's, that's very beautiful. Um, I do believe that we are all here to serve each other one way or another. Um, so how can me and my listeners serve you, giving us so much valuable information um so like to do is there any way we can serve you well i mean you know if if you find benefit from this kind of uh, teaching then to come and learn and uh, the best way to do it would be come to our day-long days of meditation and we had one just this last weekend and this weekend we're having just afternoons of longer meditation for more advanced people. But uh, like uh, the next day long will be after the new year, in fact. Uh, but uh, to learn and, and come to some guided meditation practices to kind of get your feet wet or kind of, you know, get more of a foundation for it. Because like on a day of mindfulness, it starts at nine in the morning, so people come. Right? We start with a few stretching exercises, and we sit down, and I give them guided meditation, similar to what I was doing. You know, to mm -hmm. Take some deep breaths, feeling the body, and counting the breaths from one to ten, mm -hmm. and then just being aware of what's going on in your body and mind. But I give guidance on that. So it's the guidance. And then we, we do a standing awareness. We can do it while standing also, and then while walking. Mm -hmm. So it kind of gives you a, a deeper immersion Mm -hmm. So if you, if you come to a few of those, that'll help you do it on your own, mm -hmm. give you the motivation to want to do it by yourself at home and not be so easily distracted, putting it off, you know. Okay. So that's one thing. And then, you know, then people that do that, they help support the center because we don't, we don't charge for any of our teachings here, any of our programs. We don't have any 
set fees. It's just by what you know, voluntary donations or people come, and they come that sometimes they, they bring food to offer to the monastery. There's a, a you know we don't have outs. I don't have outside job and working and so on. But you know people donate in cash or kind of you know so you know they make some monetary contributions to help pay for our electricity and you know mm-hmm. heating oil and, you know just things like that keep the place going. Okay. So that's basically the way most people help to support. All right. Yes. I'll definitely put all that information in my um, show notes. And I really want to thank you. This was extremely informative. Um, so thank you for your time. So wasn't that wonderful, you guys? Uh, we learned so much about meditation and how it benefits us and how it brings us back into consciousness, into our true deep self and um, how we can separate from all the external programming and chattering that's in our mind, which is causing us um, so much negativity and just dis-ease in our life. Um, I thought that was just such a profound knowledge to have, and um, I'm sure you guys have enjoyed it. Uh, you can uh, go and find where Bhante Rahula teaches meditation. They have their website. It's www.lionswisdom.org. And there's just so much information there. And you can even contact him there. So um, I really hope you enjoyed this podcast. And I will see you next time on another wisdom giving topic. I'll see you soon. Bye.